0: I find that this equity diversity inclusion concept is quite gimmicky a little bit in the market you know but you've got to find how it's meaningful to you and how to use that as an advantage to move it forward
1: All right everybody welcome back to founder vision today i'm speaking with imran nurani Imran is the founder and chief strategy officer, or a co-founder and chief strategy officer of Peak Power, which is peakpowerenergy.com. How are you doing today, Imran?
0: Great, Brett. Thanks for having me on. Excited to discuss everything um, startup and founder related.
1: Yeah, thanks for joining us. So tell me a little bit about what Peak Power does and what you're doing over there.
0: Yeah, sure. So we are a clean tech company, so clean technology within the energy sector. We basically enable buildings to become smart grid resources so that they can offer services to the grid in the form of stationary batteries, mobile batteries in the form of electric vehicles, and what I call synthetic batteries by changing the way a building uses energy. And the end hmm. goal is to basically offset the dirty peak hours where we typically burn coal or natural or natural gas. So the idea is, is, is that it's allowing the Client, uh, the the climate contributors to also be the solution. So buildings, energy, transport, these sectors typically are quite dirty and they contribute to GHG um, like emissions globally. So we want them to be the solution by providing grid services and generating revenue doing so.
1: Hmm. So yeah, that's interesting. Tell me a little bit more about how how you turn you know like a, a carbon in, a positive carbon emitter like a building. How do you optimize? that to make it better for the environment.
0: Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because the energy sector has always had this sort of avoided cost model, which basically says, hey, help us avoid a billion dollars worth of infrastructure uh, costs and we'll pay you 100 million. So that avoided Mm. cost model has typically gone to people who can provide energy instantaneously. So you can imagine the gas generators, the coal fired plants, they can provide instantaneous energy to offset peak infrastructure and so because that revenue stream has always existed it was quite simple we thought why does it have to be just these dirty producers who get that benefit you can have a building do it and so you just need to be able to adapt and react quickly. And so we equip a building with really those three forms of storage, as I mentioned, uh, Mm -hmm. stationary storage, mobile storage in the form of electric vehicles, and then synthetic storage. So changing the way a building uses energy at specific times. And by doing that, they're providing grid services, which results in money, which means that they can do good for the environment and make money at the same time. And uh, I think you'll appreciate this, Brett. I call it uh, putting the environment on the balance sheet and hmm. uh, the company and the staff have rejected that like a limb. They go, "It's too MBA-like. It's too business-like." The concept <laughs> is there, but they don't like the way I phrase it.
1: Yeah, interesting. Well, how would they phrase it?
0: Uh, so it's it's just basically the, the the part that has caught on is um, making the climate contributors be part of the climate solution. That seems to really okay. resonate with with the team.
1: Hmm. Interesting. So. Yeah, so I, I hear that, you're, that you care a lot about equity, diversity, inclusion, and in hiring teams. And so uh, tell me a little bit more about how you bring that into the business. And because you, you just mentioned your team and some of the differences that you had on this messaging. Um,
0: yeah, it's really interesting. So, you know, I think one of the things that has started to emerge an, an understanding of is how diverse innovation companies are by default, by nature and i think a lot of people like there like more research should be done on this topic quite frankly but if you look at our company for example more than um so 60% of the company identifies as non-caucasian uh, over 40% of the leadership is female uh, and it, and this is not by intention or design this is just us coming together you know us trying to bring together people who are passionate about solving the environmental climate change issue right and so it by by nature innovation companies startup companies they tend to attract a certain personality and you know it's 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 not you know some of us are crazy of course right Uh, but I think more than anything it's people who bring a passion put to use you know Edgar Allan Poe had used that phrase um, a passion put to use and I find that that's what the company is like it's attracted very diverse people not just sort of from a a gender diversity or ethnic perspective, it's even beyond that. It's even interests, right? So we've got a whole group of people who are major climbers in the organization, uh, musicians, people who love to cook, you know, and people do this competitively for fun and they take that um, passion to a, to a heightened level. And I think that's what I'm seeing as a commonality in the company. And so we thought, you know, as we're trying to solve the world's hardest problems, One of the challenges is is bringing those multi-stakeholder perspectives together. So we saw that really as one of our key advantages is if we're able to do it from an innovation perspective, why can't we do it from a multi-stakeholder perspective? So, you know, I I find that this equity, diversity, inclusion concept is quite gimmicky a little bit in the market, you know, Mm -hmm. but you've got to find how it's meaningful to you and how to use that as an advantage to move it forward. And I think a lot of innovation companies by nature are very um, diverse and very inclusive, but how they bring forward concepts that that um, positively contribute to society is the next piece of the equation, and that's where mm. I think the justice part comes in. You know, so it's not just equity, diversity, inclusion; it's Jedi. It's justice, equity, diversity, inclusion.
1: Mm. Tell me, tell me how you how you work in alignment as far as economic incentives and equity uh, with your team. Yeah,
0: so I think that it's it's really quite, it's not so much about incentives as it is about um, transparency and understanding what Mm. motivates the team, right? Because I think economic incentives is just one dimension across like five different dimensions, right? It's really about creating work-life harmony and inclusion principles so that people can bring their most authentic version of themselves to the company. You know, it's funny, just before having a conversation with you, um, one of my key guys he's got an innovation pipeline that he's got to manage. And it's worth 179 million. And Mike is about to get married. Um, he, he proposed to his wife uh, a year and a half ago and he's about to get married uh, next May. And of course, I know he's worried about how he's gonna pay for this wedding, right? And so, you know, the economic incentive that I'm discussing with, with the CEO is, should we, should we bonus out Mike just before his wedding uh, based on certain achievements for the organization in terms of innovation funding? You know, and, and that's an example of where we can align from an economic perspective, but still make it so that it's personal, you know, so that Mm. Mike isn't waiting for his annual review or, you know, what you would typically find in these larger organizations, but rather we're treating each individual, um, in an, in a unique and individual perspective. And I think that's the key, that, that, that's the key piece, you know?
1: Yeah. How do you continue to do that as you grow, uh, with with more and more people you know more and more bureaucracy and things just sort of become kind of policy based how how do you intend to keep that kind of personal hey let's bonus Mike out before his wedding kind of thing happening
0: yeah it's really it's really difficult actually so you know finding the right hr people um especially at a company of our size right so we grew from um, we grew from 33 people during covid to 68 people now and I mean, I mm-hmm. guess we're still in COVID, but when COVID started, right, March 2020 is, is is really where we were at 33 people. And seeing this growth, you know, almost doubling the company has been really difficult. And this is where we're starting to see that teething pain, the scale, the, the scaling pain and the importance of an HR person within this. Right. And so one thing, one thing that we did was we clearly established what our values and our principles were and put that into the, perf- per- the performance-based incentive mechanism. And as an adder to the OKR system that we have designed, as tech companies typically tend to have this objective key result model that they mm-hmm. implement. You know, So we've adapted it so that our OKR, uh, OKRs are actually OKRIs, um, objective key results with initiatives. And an element of those initiatives reflect the values of the organization. So once we've established what the values are and how people are expected to behave within the organization, how it's a two-way street, then we actually started to talk about, hey, how do you ensure that every employee is thinking like that? So that it's not just us looking out for individual employees, but it's in the, the employees looking out for each other as well and pegging to their managers, hey, you know, maybe think about this. This is emerging for this person. Or you know this employee, for example, um, is had to travel back home because he had to deal with a COVID-related death, and you know he's going to need to take two months off. Should we pay his salary or should we not? How do we deal with that? And what the right approach is? And so it almost becomes this sort of um, rule by um, rule by the team approach, where the team mm-hmm. is actually telling us what to do now, and the team is looking out for each other. And as the company is growing, you know you would think that. You would lose that sense, but because we created the platform and what the values were, the employees now defend those values.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, hmm. Yeah, I have a lot of curiosity about looking more deeply into what that what that actually looks like uh, in a day to day. Like, what's what's another another example of how how the team brought something up and the team kind of managed and organized the solution. Uh, using these principles
0: I see it in many different areas so we have an equity diversity inclusion team actually we have a justice equity dec- uh, equity um, diversity inclusion team the jedi team so I formed the Jedi team within the company I was leading the charge there but I just told the team I was like look I'll create alignment at the founder level but um, at the secondary level the second layer of management, um, you take ownership here, right? And I'll I'll provide all the support that is needed in terms of development, in terms of outsourced services that I can, and I'll provide guidance and I'll be a sponsor. But I'd like the team to take ownership. And in fact, you know, tell me when I'm off uh, when I'm off base, right? That's why I'm not a team member. Uh, we need we need direct feedback, right? Uh, name pronunciations that we get wrong, you know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? And it's so funny because as we began that process. Um, the team came together and started to create an entire system for the company that we would have never envisioned as founders. And it's much richer than we could have anticipated, or even me personally. I'm, I'm very passionate about this topic. Uh, and they collectively far exceeded what I would have implemented solo in the company, right? And as they're doing this, a lot of the work life harmony is coming through them because the surveys and the feedback that we've received from the company, being already diverse, is, is is that the inclusionary elements on a micro scale of like how far someone lives from the office versus not in Toronto, which apparently is uh, creates a fracture. We would have never caught on to that, right? And so staff have started to identify that. Um, hey, you know, for people who live away from the company, can we start to host events that are closer to them? Uh, and, and make them feel less um, excluded from a particular perspective, right? Or even mm-hmm. a simple thing, you know, it, it's funny, Brett, you and I had um, in, in the preamble to this call, we talked about hair, right? How much my hair has grown during COVID. <laughs> Apparently, this makes people feel exclusionary within the company. And again, I would have never known this, right? But it was employees looking out for each other, calling me up and saying, hey, listen, you know, not that you talk about your hair, but because you've been growing your hair ever since COVID has started, and you know, on every on every all hands, someone will comment on the length of your of Imran's hair in relation to how deep we are in the pandemic. It started to make people feel excluded, especially people with short hair in the company, because they thought that all of a sudden hair was currency. I would have never known that, but it was oh, wow,
1: wow,
0: wow. That's it's,
1: fascinating. It's,
0: yeah. And it's these micro examples, right? And unless you create you, unless you create a sense of what the values are within the company, establish that and create a culture where people are defending those values and feel free to come up and, you know, provide a, a, a co-founder in the organization with that direct feedback, you know, I, I would have never seen that in any other organization I've worked at in the past.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, on the one hand it's fascinating that you're getting that kind of feedback that kind of granular level here is what kind of projections are coming up in the organization that that are impacting people that you never would have thought of and also i'm noticing a you still have long hair and b i i would uh, i would have like some current concern about an organization where like how how do you respond to that really just if if everyone's starting to feel like hair is a currency because imran's hair is growing and he hasn't cut it during covid what do you do with that information?
0: Yeah, so, you know, it's really interesting. It's it's not calling it out um, to basically make hair the important thing, right? I think the message that I received from it and in looking into it is, is, is that there are in-groups and there are out-groups, right? And there are fractures within any organization. And you have to recognize what the fractures are, first and foremost. Once you recognize it, then you can start to address it, right? And so when I look at this hair as currency um, fracture sort of issue, it's not that the hair is necessarily the issue, right? The issue is is, is that some people feel closer to the founding team than others, especially in an organization mm-hmm. that is growing so rapidly, right? And those people who've been here earlier have a deeper connection, right? And so my solution around that really was not to call out the hair issue, right? But was to start pulling out within all hands, um, calling on people within... Uh, Within certain um, frameworks, right, and calling on the successes that they've had, and then also just commenting on things that I uh, that, that that I find are very successful, right, um, or calling out people's successes even in their personal lives that they've been willing to share with the company, so to say, as well.
1: Yeah. So it seems like what you're saying there is that you know the the hair example is just an example of a surface level heuristic showing up from some deeper rift that's occurring in the teams. So there, there were there were people who started to feel like they were outside it or inside it and maybe they didn't have a sense of why. And they kind of attached onto something, maybe, you know, even jokingly, that that they could, you know, t- attach that feeling to and make it real. And then you're hearing this, and for you, it's not about hair at all. It's just about okay, there's people having this feeling, and let's get underneath that and find out what it is and address it.
0: Yeah. And thankfully, there are some really good tools now as well. Like I think I'm a big proponent of Diversio as a company, they provide, it's almost like a, like a fitness tracker, but for your um, staff. And they start giving you these very like real, real-time dissected analytics based on the surveys that are being performed and then solutions around it. So I think having systems like that help you understand things much faster and much quicker. And I think, of course, this is, you know, as a tech company, of course, we endorse things like this. But here's a perfect example of where you can respond to HR needs um, very immediately. And I mean, quite frankly, it's 80% of our cogs, right? Uh, Not only are employees our assets, they're also our biggest cost within the organization, right? Mm -hmm. So protecting that investment is so important.
1: Yeah. So... Uh, so, so it sounds like you care a lot about your employees and how they feel. And uh, how how do you bring this back into yourself? How do you maintain your own mental health and make sure that you are not just creating an environment where other people can be their full authentic self at work, but that you are also bringing it fully yourself and caring for yourself with work-life harmony?
0: Yeah, it's a really good question. I think that, um, you know, there are stigmas around mental health, obviously, that we have to get over, you know, as, as humanity, right? And the way I like to think about it, it's like going to the gym, but for your brain, right? And to ensure that you're constantly functioning at the best authentic version of yourself, um, you know, you really need to be taking care of all aspects of your life. And so for me, I found that there are things that help, right? Like good cardio, right? Like spin classes, right? Like those help you get your thoughts aligned personally. And then having a therapist, Talking through that, right, and a therapist that is there for a particular reason as well, right, like 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 breaking it down into the functions of what you're trying to achieve and openly talking about it. I talk about this to the staff, right, and um, you know, maintaining my mental health during the pandemic was difficult. It's challenging, you know. Uh, you know, I, we had the burden of the company as well and making it survive, and and uh, you know, there were sleepless nights. Um, it, it was a year and a half marathon keeping the company alive to the point that we are at today where we've doubled in size now. But that took a toll on um, on me personally. It took a chunk out of mm-hmm. me. I feel I've aged, you know, 10 years in the process, right? But yeah. the, other, the other element too was, was not just talking about it, but also walking the walk. So for the staff, right, like looking at the benefits package, increasing it so that there's a lot more coverage for mental health, um, getting their feedback in it, right? So not just saying, hey, this is my one plan, working with a broker uh, that's trustworthy and saying, this is what I'm trying to achieve, go into the market and get that. And them saying, well, you know, that that's very creative, but you know what, that, that's exactly what we need. It's a creative time, right? Like um, it's it's a different time. And then finding insurance brokers who would match it and understand our needs, and then presenting it to the staff so that they have options and saying, this is the type of package that we would like best, right? And um, then also pointing out, I mean, I endorse what Starbucks has been doing um, in terms of their benefit package as well for mental health, you know. Uh, and then finally, I think that, you know, it's not just talking about it and providing that sort of financial support for mental health as well. But it's also the little systems that you set up within the company, you know. So we had, um, we had yoga sessions set up. We had meditation sessions uh, session set up. And we found it had a huge uptick. Staff were loving that and they were really then openly talking about what their men, uh, what, what their mental health struggles were and challenges were and it expanded to eating disorders you know things that normally people would take as very private considerations or private discussions now became open discussions too and i think it's very positive right because it's one step closer to closer to bringing your authentic self to work
1: yeah so you talk about like walking the walk how do you make sure that you are held to integrity uh, one thing I notice is that anybody who's sort of the lead in an organization or a group or a community, and there's a set of principles, it's really easy for them to be, to kind of find themselves in a position where people are even marginally less likely to challenge them than they are each other. And it can often put them in a position where in some subtle ways, they start not walking the walk, but they talk the talk and need to continually be reminded of when they themselves are off track. What's an example of any time that that's happened for you? When, when have you found yourself not walking the walk and how was it presented to you and how did, what did you learn from that about yourself?
0: Yeah, it's a really good question, Brett. I think one of the things that we're lucky about is we have four founders in the company. Right. And mm. I think, you know, in the past, people have looked down upon um, more than two founders. You know, the in the investment cycle uh, circle will call like four founders as like, you know, founder drama or you know whatever. They look out for those signs. But I think for us, it works really well. You know, in this environment, uh, we have a network of um, siblinghood, so to say, you know, and when any of us are getting offside from a mental health perspective or not walking the walk, um, we are able to catch each other, you know? So uh, I'll give you a good example. It was presented to me as, um, I think, July 4th weekend. I was, I was at the end of a sprint, at the end of a marathon, and I kept going. And, you know, I was on negative fuel at this point. And uh, I was putting together like a mm. 60 page process documentation for delivery and execution. And it, it took a massive piece out of me, you know, being right at the end and then pushing further and uh, I was the last founder to not take a vacation and everyone comes back from vacation sort of gung-ho and they look at me and you know I, I'm spent I'm done right and uh, Derek the CEO looks at me and he says you know not only is he my boss but he's also my friend right um, and he looks at me and says yeah you've got to take a vacation like you are not yourself you are not walking the walk and you are getting annoyed very quickly and it's coming up in meetings, it's coming up in conversations just in the two days that I've been back, you know, hmm. and it allows me to check myself, you know, immediately I said, yeah, you know what, I'm going to start reducing the number of meetings that I have that's contributing to my stress. I'm also
1: uh-huh.
0: going on vacation in a month or so, maybe I'm just going to get out into the woods, you know, this weekend, right, and clear my mind a bit, right. And um, having having someone who's there to support as well through the process. Right. Um, Derek says, okay, great. Take Friday off. How can I support you on that Friday? Right. I've got your back here or Matt, one of the other founders, right. Um, He needed to spend some time with his wife. Right. Um, She's a producer for Netflix. And so she works in these, you know, very big, um, very big sort of uh, sprints as well. They had a moment where the two of them aligned uh, and we said, okay, go spend some time with your wife, right? Like, this is important. And when you come back, you'll come back refreshed. And in the meantime, you know, you're, hand, you're handling project financing, we'll step in for you. And, uh, you know, he comes back refreshed, he comes back walking the walk, and uh, we've got each other from a support perspective as a result of that.
1: Yeah, it's great. The, the thing I love about that kind of relationship that you just described is that somebody's noticing that you're that you're showing up more annoyed, you're showing up triggered, and their response isn't that they are themselves triggered and then escalating the tensions it's that they're just like, Hey, so what's going on? Like, I I see, I see this, I see you, and Mm -hmm. I see that you have needs behind this. And I'm not here to make you wrong about how triggered you showed up to that meeting. And it's really, it's really great to have four of you guys having four of your team, having that, uh, that kind of relationship.
0: The one thing that I've learned though, the caveat to You know, words like "you're reeling" is probably not something you want to use. And "hey, can I give you some feedback?" is always just "oh, am I ready for this?" You know, that's the flip side of the equation, right? Is is you've also, you know, as much as you're giving it and receiving it, you've also got to know the timing of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Can I give you some feedback? That's interesting because, I mean, it's it's nice to have consent before you give somebody feedback, but also, even that question, once it becomes, once it becomes kind of built into the code people know what's coming so it's almost like you have to ask consent like hey can i ask you if you're ready for feedback (laughs) Uh, that's interesting uh so one, one other thing that we had to talk about today in our notes was raising money and i've talked to a lot of people about raising money in covid in general and you're also doing this in the canadian ecosystem so there's a twist on that what's what's your experience been uh in that regard
0: yeah, it wasn't easy, right? I mean, you know, we, we've we been lucky because our main investor uh, since the start of our company was David Thompson. So coming out of the Canadian ecosystem, I mean, you, it doesn't get better than that, right? The richest man in Canada, the chairman, the chairman of Thomson Reuters. So he invested into us through his family office. That's quite heavily invested in the commercial real estate side, the, the REIT side of the equation. So when David Thompson had made that original investment, He also introduced us to a lot of his commercial breed clients and things were going really well. And as we started growing, we started realizing, okay, we're going to need to get money and capital from outside. And right before COVID, I started planning a Series A raise. And, you know, Osmington had basically said, yeah, you know, we've invested in you four times now. It's time to get market validation. So go out and get money from somewhere else, you know. And of course, we had to now go out in the world without our crutch, right? Without our David Thompson crutch, Right. And it was challenging, it was difficult. We had an aggressive offer made right before that from a very large technology company. And I would describe it as you know, taking uh, 80% of control of the company while only providing 20 cents on the dollar. Right. So it was hard walking away from a deal like that, but owning and basically saying, you know what, we're worth more than that to ourselves. And we have a lot more work to do positively to the environment. And of course, then we start our raise uh, we're in Silicon Valley, you know, companies are making offers, they're valuing us, and then boom, COVID hits, right? February 2020, um, everything's looking great, and we're thinking us turning down the technology company offer was the best thing that we did. And then uh, February 2020 hits, March hits, and we're going shit. Now the huh. investors are talking about a big devaluation, and of course, because our major clientele were those commercial REITs, they're basically saying, take a giant chunk right? Like 35% off the price right away. And so we had to pivot and we had to really think about how we were going to do it um, in a market that was contracting, right? Like uh, people were not making investments. And so there is always ways of getting capital. So we did a Series A raise in a very unique way. We did a convertible Series A, which is not very common in the market. It's more common Hmm. for earlier stage companies to do convertible notes uh, as, as part of an overall strategy. But we were lucky, right? Because the one thing that we started doing was um, lobbying a little bit and talking to the government and talking about the innovation sector. And Canada is really good at seeding innovation companies, but terrible at keeping them alive. So, you know, sort of that turtle analogy on the beach, right? Like the hatchlings have been laid, but getting them to the water is not something that Canada's interested in, right? Um, and typically, that's where the US companies tend to come in. The U.S. companies don't innovate at the early stage well. They recognize that Canada is really good at that. And then they come in to sort of get these companies to the water. And um, it's it's a long-held strategy by a lot of um, U.S. investors. But in a contracting market with COVID, those investors had cold feet. And so we were in a position where we really had to figure out what to do. Because of the lobbying efforts, the Canadian government said, okay, we need to do some protection. So they created like these matching programs where they said, hey, If someone's going to do an investment that's a US company, we'll match. So someone puts in five million, we'll put in another five million and we don't have to do due diligence and, or we'll do minimal due diligence because we're relying on that larger company. And that was a lifesaver, right? Like we ended up doing a $21.7 million round that I closed sort of in December of 2020 and then it spilled over a little bit into February because we were slightly oversubscribed. Now, you know, hear me say these words, right? I went from eight months ago, is this company going to exist? Are these families that we've created going to be able to pay their bills, right? Is the world going to be what we know it to, we're oversubscribed, um, we've got to spend wisely and the team is growing and we're gearing for growth. You know, and it was a big difference. And in the end, we ended up raising money primarily from Canadians, which again is unheard of, right? And I think that it's important for a lot of companies to understand that you have to get creative when it comes to financing structures. The negotiations were difficult. They were not easy, right? Like we spent 250 um, plus another 60. Yeah, we spent 310,000 Canadian dollars just on our legal fees on closing that round, which is huh. maybe I'd say um, 60% more than it should have. But it was because that deal was so creative and because we leveraged the government relationships, because we leveraged the relationships that we had before. And uh, quite frankly, it was also that momentum, right? It's as other people started to invest, it created this momentum of, hey, we don't want to be left out. Uh, right. And you know, one thing that we did that was really unique, and I'll share with you some details on this round, was we did a convertible note round. And we did a round where basically the note would convert automatically Only if the next round is a certain value. It's opposite to what you normally see in deal structures. But we were basically saying that, hey, we are going to grow the company. We believe we're going to grow the company. And if in three years, we don't get to the valuation at a minimum, then you get to call the loan. But if we do get to to that valuation at a minimum, you get to convert and you get to convert at a discount. So it's it's an opposite deal structure that you might typically see in the market, but it worked for us. It allowed us to not take a chunk of that devaluation that Silicon Valley was indicating in the early days um, and for us to have to give up far more equity and far more control. And at the same time, it gave the investors confidence that they were investing in something that would grow, that they would support and that they would have uh, extra benefit for in the event that we were successful for taking that yeah, risk. Wow.
1: Yeah, that, that really speaks to the, the conviction and the tenacity and the, the creativity of, of your approach. And as we're getting close to our time here, I just I want to ask you now, what's, what's the thing that you've learned about yourself that has impacted your business and the way that you run a company the most or vice versa? What have you learned about business that has just impacted yourself the most?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I think what I have learned is how to really step into leadership in a deeper way, in a more, um, in a more individualistic way. So I think that, you know, in the past, as I had these leadership positions or as I had done things entrepreneurially, um, you know, I've, I've held large positions within different energy organizations in the past and leadership in those organizations was very much about the diplomacy of people management right? And demonstrating leadership, not just from a knowledge perspective. You know, you build your knowledge in any, in any sector in the first 10 years of your career, right? Mm-hmm. The balance is about managing people, it's about diplomacy, and it's about getting the best out of people and resourcing accordingly, right? Um, but what I found through this, through the past two years, is how important it is to step in from a individual leadership perspective, from a sector space, And what I mean by that is, you know, before I was approaching leadership very formulaically. Now I look at leadership very differently in the sense that if I don't step into myself and have my own self-beliefs of what I can achieve and take the organization and make them aligned and then take the sector and do that, we're not going to achieve what we need to achieve because an innovation company has to be a trailblazer. We are doing things that are unique and, you know, the regulator isn't going to to carve out a path for us, right? Um, Silicon Valley isn't going to deliver us a deal that works. We actually have to take and show leadership and then micromanage every little piece of what the communication might be for the person and for the party interested in, you know? And so that I thought was really different from the leadership approach that I've taken in the past, you know, Um, it, that, 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 that element of really sort of coming from within, having the confidence to envision and see something and then working towards it and adjusting even the micro messages to get to that point is very different than what I believed in in the past. Hmm.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us, Imran. I really enjoyed this conversation. Likewise, Brett. Yeah, and I wish you and Peak Power all the best. Yeah,
0: well, we probably need it <laughs> with the way things are going <laughs> these days.
1: <laughs> Great.